Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders discussing education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we are here with arguably one of our nation's most respected public servants, a diplomat, a general, and you may not know this, but also an educator and proponent of schools and student successes. His first name punctuates the following POW that he delivers whenever liberty or justice has been challenged across the world. We're proud to welcome to Harvard and the Harvard EdCast, General Colin Powell. Thank you very much, Matt. Great pleasure to be back at Harvard. Good to have you. And I'm wondering, is it a bit of a shift for you to, to not be coming to Harvard with remarks to the Kennedy School on foreign policy, but more so to the education school on dropout rates and education speaking here today? Well, it's my first uh, visit to the education school, and I'm pleased uh, to, to be here. I've spoken at uh, the Kennedy School, and I've also spoken at a commencement many years ago. But uh, education really is my thing now, so I'm very pleased to have this opportunity. Just more specifically on education, 1997, when you and your wife founded America's Promise Alliance. I'm curious, what motivated you to focus specifically on education then, and sort of how has the alliance grown and evolved throughout the years? The long story was uh, George Romney, uh, Governor Romney of, of Michigan, who came up with the idea many years ago that in a nation with all of our wealth and all of our capacity, how can it be that we have youngsters who are in poverty, youngsters who have no future, youngsters who are not being educated? And so he put that dream out there that we should do something about it. And in 1997, I was approached by a number of people who said, you know, would you help us put on a summit that would deal with these problems? And I agreed to it, and I agreed to chair it. And then it became the Summit for America's Future, and we had all of our living presidents there. President Clinton bought into it, even Vice President Gore was there all the living presidents with Mrs. Reagan representing President Reagan. And it was a wonderful summit. And when it was over, the following Monday morning, I'm sitting in my small office in Alexandria saying, now what do we do? Was that all there is, a summit? And we said, no, we've got to do a lot more than that. And so we decided to form this movement. And over the last uh, 15 years now, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary, the movement has grown enormously across the country. And it's very simple. Every child needs certain resources in his or her life that will put them on a path to success. First, every child needs responsible, loving, caring adults in their life. Hopefully the parents provide this, or aunts and uncles. But if they're not there, then let's get, uh, let's get mentors. Let's get uh, boys and girls clubs. Let's get after-school programs. Let's get adults into the lives of these children. The second promise that we made was all children should have safe places in which to learn and grow and not just be tossed out in the street. And in the 15 years since we started America's Promise, one of our partners, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, have gone from 1,500 Boys and Girls Clubs to 4,500 Boys and Girls Clubs, a tripling of the capacity of uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. The third one was uh, every child should have a healthy start in America. But you know, every American should have access to health care. But we don't have that. One of the few developed nations in the world that does not have universal health care. And that's especially a problem for the six million children who don't. And then the fourth item comes really to the heart of uh, why I'm here today and what you're doing here today. And that is every child should be given a quality education that leads to a marketable skill. Not necessarily leading to college, leading to a marketable skill for a 21st century economy. And then the last part was, you know, while we're doing all this for children, let's get a promise out of them. Let's have them commit to being people of service, that they will serve. And at the earliest age, children can start doing something for others. 
and let's make that part of their life so that when they grow into adults, it becomes part of their adult life. Roughly two years ago, Grad Nation kicked off. I'm curious, what, what was that initiative? What spurred that, and, and how has that been going over the past two years? Yeah, America's promise as we grew, uh, we realized that there was a major problem waiting for all children out there, even if we got them stabilized, and that was that our dropout rate had uh, become impossible to, to hang on to. We had to do something about it. And so America's Promise then formed Grad Nation. Let's become a nation of graduates. Why? Because a third of our kids, now it's a little bit better, it's about 25% of our kids are dropping out of high school. They're not finishing. And the most terrible part about this is that among our minority population, particularly African Americans and Hispanics, the dropout rate is as high as 50%. And so we said, let's use what we have learned about youth-serving organizations and the sweep and the touching that we have around the country and work on making it a nation of graduates with a goal of, by the year 2020, having 90% of all kids finishing high school. And so we've been working on it, and we've had uh, something like 105 summits around the country, led by my wife or the president of America's Promise, uh, Marguerite Kondracki. And we've seen a lot of success. Communities are coming together. And that's what America's Promise is all about. Communities coming together, bringing all the resources of the community to bear on the problem. And so we know where the problem is. Uh, when we started, it was roughly 2,000 schools that were dropout factories. We've now reduced that to about 1,500. But we've still got a long way to go. Uh, and how do we save these kids? How do we make them successful? The five promises. We found that this is really a, uh, a simple solution. It's kind of a magic solution. About a month ago, we had a, a forum here at the Ed School about what the NFL can teach teachers. I'm curious, with your military background, if we had a forum, what the military can teach teachers, or any lessons for teachers from your perspective, uh, what would you what would you advise? The military, we are teachers. That's what we do. We probably have the largest educational system in the world, certainly in America. We bring in hundreds of thousands of young men and women every year who are not college-bound at that moment. Many of them are searching for something to do in life. Some of them have had difficulties in their life. Most of them don't want to serve their nation. So we bring them in, and within six months, we've got them settled, stabilized, and they have a skill. It's a skill of being a soldier, a sailor, an airman, or Marines. What do we do? First and foremost, we expose them to a formality of discipline that may not, they might not have seen in their own communities. I like to joke about this. You know, we introduce them to their drill sergeant, somebody who they immediately come to hate, and for good reason, because he makes it clear to them that, you know, your mommy ain't here, your daddy ain't here, I'm it. I'm your new mommy and daddy, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And to make sure there are no mistakes about it, uh, he starts giving them push-ups. We cut their hair off. We put them all in the same uniform. We scare them to death uh, and make sure they understand that you're in a new world now. And then we teach them things that, that might sound a little anachronistic. We put them in formations and we drill them. And Why do we do that? One, it's, a, it's an efficient way to move a body of people back and forth as opposed to meandering across the common. But two, it teaches a little bit of pride as they march in unison. But more importantly, it teaches accountability. If the sergeant says left face and everybody goes left face but you, you turn to the right, everybody down for push-ups, and suddenly you discover you'd better do what you're told and you better fall in line. We also have another gimmick we used to use. I don't know if we still are. I'm kind of dated. 
but a drill sergeant will tell the young recruits, there's only three answers to any question you're asked. No other answers are acceptable. And the three answers are, yes, sergeant, no, sergeant, and no excuse, sergeant. And so the next day, the sergeant will say, you didn't shave. And the young man, if he was still back home, he would try to convince his mommy or his daddy that he shaved well that morning. But if he tries it with the drill sergeant, it won't work. The only thing he say is, no excuse, sir, whether he's shaved or not. It's a way of teaching respect, teaching discipline, teaching self-responsibility. You're responsible for yourself. And once we got their attention like that, then we can start to teach them. And we have the most modern methods of instruction in the military. So most of my adult life was spent training young people. Um, and uh, that's why I think the military has lots of experience. And as a matter of fact, a lot of retiring generals and colonels are going into education and becoming principals and school superintendents and starting to take these lessons into private life. This is just an audio podcast, but I want to let the record be known that I have shaved for this interview today. All you had to say was no excuse, sir. <laughs> See, he would have trouble. I can't do push-ups either. Did I explain it inadequately? <laughs> you're a great teacher, Jenner. I'm just kidding around with you. Now I'm really nervous and afraid of how many push-ups you're going to assign to me after this podcast. But now you understand why we do it. <laughs> I did this as a teaching method for did our you listeners. Learn? I did. I did. <laughs> Moving on. You've done a lot of work in leadership development. I'm curious, um, over the years, was there a moment when you sort of self-identified with having become a leader? I know people say it's an evolving process, and I know you have a lot of thoughts on leadership. I um, really learned a lot about leadership while I was an ROTC cadet at the City College of New York. Uh, and then in my first few years in the Army as a lieutenant, when they sent me to the infantry school at Fort Benning and in my first assignment uh, in a unit. That's where I learned most of it. Um, and everything I did after that was building on that early foundation that I got in college and in the Army. And say, well, come on now. Being chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has to be a little different than being a lieutenant. Not that much. You'd be surprised if you understand that you have to give any group of human beings a sense of purpose I go beyond just what's the mission, what's our purpose, why are we doing this, what are we doing for our society, what are we doing for our country. You give every human being a sense of purpose, and then you give them the equipment they need to achieve that purpose, and then you train them for it, you hold them accountable, uh, you, you praise them when they get it right, and you get on them when they don't get it right, uh, and you build a sense of pride and respect in the organization. Uh, and that works at any level, and that's what I learned at the beginning, and that's what I was practicing at the end. General Powell, you've worked with and influenced so many various famous people throughout the world in, in your illustrious career. Um, who do you think, if they retired from statesmanship or diplomacy or politics or the military, would make the best kindergarten teacher? I think almost any sergeant or officer I have served with would make a good kindergarten teacher. Now they may have to adjust a little bit. You can't give a six-year-old push-ups. But it isn't so much giving them push-ups. It's understanding why you're giving them push-ups. Putting structure into the life of a child. Putting discipline in the life of a child. Self-accountability and self-respect. And we are good at that. And I think that most of the people I've worked with over all those years in the military 
could scale down to being a good kindergarten teacher, just remember that you know you might have to give them a timeout, but you can't have them drop. <laughs> General Powell, we're a sort of small and humble podcast here on education. I'm going to give you an opportunity to educate the masses here today. I'm going to give you the opportunity to announce your 2012 presidential endorsement for President Obama or Mitt Romney here today to not to our millions, but to our thousands of listeners. Well, I am going to do what I always uh, do during an election year. I study the candidates, and it is not just a person you are voting for. It's an agenda. It's a platform. It's a philosophy that that party has and that individual has. It's uh, who are they liable to appoint to uh, cabinet positions? Who are they liable to appoint to the Supreme Court? And so I always make an, an in-depth study of the issue, and then when I feel that I know who I should support, I vote for that person. I may or may not say something publicly beforehand. In 2008, I did. I thought it was important. This year, I'm watching as usual, and people say, well, does that mean that you're happy with somebody and not happy with somebody else? No. It just means I'm doing what I always do. Um, I have always been essentially very, very Republican, and I am a Republican with respect to foreign policy and economic matters, but very, very moderate uh, on social issues. Um, and so I'm, 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 I'm able to swing across that moderate line uh, uh, any time I want. I voted for both Republicans and Democrats in the course of my, my life. Last question, General Powell. There's lots of websites out there with Colin Powell quotes, Colin Powell leadership quotes. It's a myriad of wit and wisdom. I'm curious, what is General Colin Powell's favorite Colin Powell quote? It's probably uh, of the 13 rules that are attributed to me. It's probably the last one, optimism. A sense of optimism is a force multiplier. Um, and of the 13 rules that you're referring to, the first one says uh, it'll look better in the morning. And the last one says, optimism is a force multiplier. Those two really bound my philosophy of leading and managing an organization. Always have a positive attitude. Always be of the view that you can improve things. And always be optimistic. If you're not optimistic, then your followers will not be optimistic. If you don't demonstrate confidence, then they won't be confident. Um, and so it's so very, very important to convey an attitude of, we can do this. And this was drilled into me as a young lieutenant. Uh, the simple way the, the infantry school did it was, Lieutenant, you may be terrified, but you must never act or look terrified. You may be cold or you may be hot, but you must never show that you are either cold or hot. You may be hungry, but you always eat last. Uh, you, must, you may be tired, but you must never show fatigue. You're the leader. And the leader sets the tone. The leader has to demonstrate moral courage, physical courage. The leader has to be proficient. You have to have trained the followers. And what it all comes down to, why you have to be optimistic and why you have to always be ready to see a better day tomorrow, is that you're leading human beings. And what leadership is all about is not about the leader. It's about the followers. And so your job is to invest in the followers, and the best way to do that is to be the best example to your followers. I think there might be some brand new quotes for that quote <laughs> there in what you just said. General Powell, we 
wanted to thank you for taking time to talk to us. Again, just a small little education podcast here at the Harvard Ed School. And we thought we can get you uh, a myriad of gifts. Uh, there's the HGC pen and the Harvard notebook. And then our researchers found that you uh, do have an interest in cars mm -hmm. and refurbishing cars, I believe. And instead of a Harvard pen, we really thought you'd appreciate something more practical, General Powell. Uh, chrome and metal polish. God, I need it. And we also wanted to get you some drying cloth. If you have too many of these, this could double as an ascot, perhaps. <laughs> this <laughs> is wonderful. And also... I use these all the time. How'd you know? I thought I, mean, I, I walked around a hardware store and thought maybe this would be something you're not used to I'm getting. trying to see if it's a real chamois or just that substitute chamois. I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm j just a small podcaster's budget here. And then, of course, the Harvard Graduate School of Education car decal. A small podcaster's budget. You were doing okay until you got there. <sighs> I was terrified. I was hungry, but I was trying to look not that. Here's your Harvard decal for your car. General Powell, this was a lot of fun. Thank, Thank you, you very much. And, uh, and I've got a new book coming out if you want to talk leadership. Yes, I didn't know. It'll, by all means, it'll, be out, it'll be out on the 22nd of May. And the title of it is It Worked for Me in Life and Leadership, 44 Short Stories. Very good. General Colin Powell, thank you for being here at Harvard. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.